0: that are here this morning. We thank you for bringing our pastor and his family back to us. And uh, Lord, you're just so good. And help us not to forget that. Help us not to uh, come to church and just think of it as just another day. It's not. It's the day that you made specifically for us to be here. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to open our hearts to your word as Pastor Dan brings the message. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. All right, testing. now you can hear me. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, If you were with us for the last several weeks, um, as Mickey had just shared, we have been in a sermon series entitled Set Free, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. And this is week number six, and... We will finish chapter one, Lord willing. And so uh, obviously there's uh, several chapters in the book of Galatians, but um, we're excited to continue this study. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how the Apostle Paul, uh, addressing the church of Galatia, had to defend his apostleship and by laying out what the true gospel was. He also had to defend the source of of the true gospel. He removed himself from that equation. He said God revealed it to him directly. He wasn't trained by any uh, man or anyone else. He was revealed uh, to him of God on the road to Damascus. Last week, uh, we started uh, a two-part sermon called A Transformed Life, where last week we got to look at the The conversion, if you will, of Paul. And Paul kind of laid down the groundwork of what his life was before salvation, how he was, the Bible said, wrecked havoc on the church. He would go door to door and pull Christians out of their homes and literally throw them in jail just for preaching. Christ and Christ alone. And so we saw that last week. We also saw the conversion experience and we jumped into Acts chapter 9 as well as we looked into what exactly happened uh, to Paul. Uh, We saw the conversion of Saul, the great persecutor of the church, to Paul, I like to call the great builder of the church. Um, We also examined at the end of last week the purpose of Of Paul's life, the purpose of his calling. He was called to salvation once um, at at the first, but then he was called to serve God. And we saw that at the first part of verse 16. Pastor Aaron, I made the joke last week that I've never had a verse study cut off in the middle of a verse. So last week, we finished the first part of 16, and today will be In the latter part of verse 16 through uh, the end of the chapter, um, we examined that Paul went from a zealous man of the law to a sold-out believer in the matchless grace of God. Uh, when a man believes in Christ, there's a spiritual, we used this word last week, transformation that takes place, a spiritual transformation that takes place. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes here to the church in Corinth in 5.17, he says, Therefore, if any man is in, may be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We saw this example last week when Ananias would go to Paul after, and we'll talk a little bit about that this week as well. Ananias would go to Paul, and Paul, his eyes were opened, as the Bible says, as if scales were blinding him uh, from the truth of the gospel. And Paul becomes a new man. Paul's characteristics of being zealous for the law sh- shifted to being a champion of God's grace. We we asked this question last week, and this was a theoretical question. And obviously, when I asked it last week, I said, this isn't like he's the biggest of all. But we, we Paul said last week in our study that he was the chief of sinners. So we asked the question, if God can transform Saul, who could not who couldn't he transform? Um, and, And I say that in comparison, and I'm not saying Saul was the biggest sinner there was. There are plenty of men that have come since then throughout modern history that we can look at and say, these were wicked and evil men. But I want you to understand that the grace of God is more powerful than any sin that we can commit, whether it's once, twice, or even a thousand times. Do you know that even, this is going to shock you, even Adolf Hitler could have accepted Christ as his savior. He really could have. Even some of the groomest dictators and and some of the modern people we think of in history are like, oh, I've heard it said this way. Oh, that guy, he's, you know, where he is, you know. Even the most sinful people can come to the grace of God. And that was the point there, that God's grace is transforming, it's transcendent upon anything else. But one thing that we didn't really talk too much into last week is, I wanted to ask this question, but why was Paul chosen? Like, why specifically Paul? Obviously, we talked a little bit about the purpose last week, as well of the fact that he was zealous for the law. But one of the verses that we kind of skipped over in Acts chapter 9 last week, for sake of time, was verses 15 and verse 16. And it says this, uh, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way for talking this is God talking to Ananias. He says go thy way for he speaking of Paul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias was go and we'll see this a little later. He's making excuses. God, why should I go and meet Saul the persecutor of the church? We've heard what he's done. And God says, "My purpose for him is so that he could preach, not just to the Jewish people, because Paul grew up in the in the rabbinic schools. He knew the law like the back of his hand. In fact, he knew it so well, he enforced it. He was there approving the stoning of Stephen. He was there guarding the clothes, and then he was leading the charge, going door by door, pulling Christians out. What was, the, what was Paul going to Damascus for last week? What did he have in his hand? He had letters from the chief priest to go and pull out Christians who believed that Jesus Christ is enough, pull them out of their homes, and throw them into Jail. But I want us to see it this way. In Philippians 1 6, the Bible says this Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's plan was to be a preacher, a preacher to not just the Jewish uh, people that he grew up with, but a teacher and a preacher to the Gentile world, to kings. God told Ananias that. Paul was going to be a mover and shaker when it came to the expansion of the early church at that time. Um, We said the statement last week, he went from a destroyer of the church to a builder of the church. So why is all of this important before we jump into the latter part of 16? The point this morning is simple this. We echo this phrase, the reason we're set free The reason that we could live in confidence that our salvation is set and secure is, number one, is because the true gospel is Christ alone, period. Christ is all I need is what we just... Finished singing, and I don't know about you. One of the things that I challenge my heart with whenever I worship in song is not to just repeat the words because I know the tune and I like the tune. I, I really try to meditate and think about what does that really mean—that Christ is all I need. And, and we all sang that song this morning. But my question would be: Did you believe in the essence of the words that you were singing? Did you really believe that Christ is all you need? And obviously, for salvation, is Christ—is that who all we need? According to the Word of God, according to Paul's defense according to him going against the Judaizers, he says, yeah, Christ is all we need. We don't need works of the law added to salvation. Christ, is, Christ alone is enough. But do we exercise that same mindset that Christ alone is enough in every aspect of our life? whether it's our job, whether it's in our, our day-to-day conversation, whether it's how we parent our children. Um, we uh, live in a society today that they feel that they can replace the role of the parent. And, that, and it's so evident through our educational system, through the, the, the media, whatever you want to go into. And I won't like park on that and spend 30 minutes there. What I'm trying to say is this, if you're a parent today that's feeling overwhelmed with your child, Christ is all you need. If, if, you're, if you're a visitor with us today and this is your first time and you have no idea what this relationship with Christ, what salvation means, what does it mean to die and to go to heaven because my sins are forgiven, if, if that confuses you, listen, it's not about the works you do to get there. It's not about being good, 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 and I'm going to get to heaven. Christ is simply all you need. But Christ, the true gospel is Christ alone. But we also as Christians must understand this, this truth that God must grow us or prepare us in order to be used of him. Can I tell you something? The moment you get saved, Pastor Aaron and I, and, and, and I'm a little, a little scared that he's here today. Now he's critiquing me. And, um, Anyways, um, no, but whenever someone gets saved, what Pastor Aaron and I don't do They say, hey, we're so thankful you accepted that the Lord is your Savior. Hey, will you teach our Sunday school class next week? You know, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna dump that on somebody. Why? Because it takes time to prepare. It takes time to to learn and grow. And we're gonna see Paul do that when he uh, accepts Christ. And so the gospel is Christ alone, but we must understand that God must grow and prepare us to be used of him. So jumping right into the latter part of 16, it says there in Galatians chapter one, it says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And 17 says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them, which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned again unto Damascus. After Paul's conversion, he did not consult with any man. God and God alone was the one that worked in the heart of Paul, prompting him of his need of salvation. He didn't seek counsel from Ananias. You know how God sent Ananias to go find Saul, you know, Paul, and and bring him in? He didn't seek counsel from them or any other Christians. One commentator says it this way, he says, it is not that he would not have been helped, By going to learn from other believers, but his being given the unique place, Paul, of reaching the Gentiles seemed to demand that he had not been seen as merely convinced by some Jewish converts to this doctrine. Gentiles might have been more reluctant to accept his message if they perceived it as of Jewish origination. You see, God's purpose in coming to Paul in such a unique way on Damascus Road was simply to show him, look, what what was the word last week? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? God called him out directly and at that moment Paul Saul chose to accept Christ. He went into Damascus. He saw Ananias. He didn't seek counsel from anyone and the reason for that was the the reason that God laid out to Ananias just a few verses ago that we went over. The purpose for Paul was to reach the next uh, segment of the known world whereas the church was really focused in Jerusalem and some of the surrounding areas and now after the conversion of Paul, you see it start to take off, especially once you get to Acts chapter 13 with his first missionary journey. So he didn't first travel to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia. Now, this isn't Modern day Saudi Arabia that we think of today, but this was actually an area uh, kind of in modern day Israel, stretching from Damascus, which is in modern day Syria, all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula. And so, not much is this is ironic. The Bible is not very specifically clear, and a lot of commentators have different theories as to what in the world did Paul do while he was in Arabia. It's not a, a much discussed or even much revealed topic, but one commentator said it this way while he was in Arabia, it was was definitely a place of his preparation for future ministry. And we see that because he spent some time in Arabia and verse 17, he comes back uh, to Damascus and where he preached. And then if you go all the way back to Acts chapter nine, verses 23 through 25, when he preached, he was persecuted against. Can you imagine selling a product for a company? And let's just use the Apple Samsung debate. Um, so you have two major cell phones. Let's say you're a Samsung ambassador. Your goal is to sell a as many phones as possible, except the ones that blow up and they ban. Um, other than, that, as you could tell, I use Apple. But if you were to switch and go work for Apple, I have a couple people with Samsung's giving me like dirty looks right now. Um, if you were to switch and switch to Apple, um, it would almost be like trading on your whole kind, your whole belief of, of like you were this and now you believe this way and now you believe in the new product or the new thing. You see, when Paul would go back to Damascus, Remember on the Damascus Road, there was others that traveled with him, right? They couldn't perceive God speaking. They didn't know who exactly what was going on. But most likely, those men and others were believers of the law that enforced the law. So when Paul goes back to Damascus... Um, It says this in Acts 9.23, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Most likely his former co-workers are kind of riling up the crowd saying, this man who was ready to throw Christians who believe in Christ and Christ alone in jail is now preaching the very message he was against. So he's wrong. Now, um, I'll say this in a little bit. Paul, we're going to see Peter here in a little bit. Paul and Peter both believed that what they were doing at the time was right. They were convinced that what they believed what they were doing was right. In verse 24 of Acts 9, but laying, but their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in, in a basket. So to get in and out of Damascus, he literally had to be snuck out of town so he didn't get killed. They were watching the gates. They were ready to kill him. And so one commentator says it this way, the two periods of preaching in Damascus, when he got saved, when he went to Arabia, and then he came back, um, that was a time for Paul to really be alone with Jesus Christ, where he would learn, where he would meditate, and he would also study the Old Testament. Now, what was a Paul an expert of before salvation? The, the law, right? Where's the law found? The Old Testament. Can you imagine believing in something so vehemently and so so passionately your whole life? And then when Paul's eyes are open to the gospel of Christ, Christ didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill the law. Paul's going back for three years and saying, Oh, that's oh, 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 that's what that means. You know, so he goes back and sees the law and sees the Messiah appointed of the law in the future. He sees the scapegoat. He sees the spotless lamb. And in that period between his salvation, the trip to Arabia and back to Damascus lasted about three years. You see, Paul took time to prepare just between him and God alone. So what does that mean for us? Why would Paul spend three years preaching, preparing, and before really leaving that region? You know, I've heard it said this way, that the scripture is a mirror that reveals who we are. Sometimes we look in the mirror in the morning, do we all wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, wow, I did. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I look in the mirror, I'm like, my hair's doing this, I got stuff here, stuff there. We see things in the mirror, we see imperfections that we want to fix out. You know when we look at the Word of God and we say, when the Word of God says we should be this and we should be that, there's going to be times where we read it and we're going to not like it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to surrender that. You see, the Bible is a mirror showing us our imperfections. The purpose of the law that Paul grew up in was to show Israel that they needed a Savior. It was to show Israel that they weren't perfect. And so if Scripture is a mirror and Paul is taking time to prepare with God, the great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this. He said, in our raw state as young Christians... It may not be injurious to receive truth from pastors and parents and so on. But if we are to become men in Christ Jesus and teachers of others, we must quit, we must quit the childish habit of depending on others and search for ourselves. We may now leave the egg and get rid of the the pieces of shell as quickly as may be, but listen to this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, as Christians, it is our duty. It is our duty to search the scriptures, to see whether these things be so and more. He says, it is our wisdom to cry for grace and appropriate each truth and let it dwell in our inmost nature. It is time that we should be able to say, this truth is now as personally my own as if I had never heard it from the lip of man. I receive it because it has been written on my own heart by the Lord himself. It's coming to me, What's coming to me is not after man. You see, Spurgeon said this, as Christians, our duty is to take what the word of God says. Don't get us wrong. Pastor Aaron, myself, and preachers and teachers that you grew up with, their goal, their job, their requirement is to preach, thus saith the Lord. Now, is there going to be application? Is there going to be illustrations? Is there going to be things that come up in our lives that say, hey, this, this jumps out to me because of that? Yes. But at the same time, none of that holds a candle to what God's word says. And so, and then not only to what God's word says, when you see a verse on the screen or when you see something being preached, uh, as, as Mickey said a moment ago, as pastor challenged us to read and study out this chapter and read it and, and allow God to work it in our life, we had to go back, and uh, I'm preaching on verses 16 through 24 today, we had to go home today, tomorrow, throughout the week, and go back over those verses and say, hey, I know Pastor Dan just preached that, but let me, let me study that for myself. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Go home and say, well, he was wrong on that. He was wrong on that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if, in humility, if I'm wrong on something, let me know. Uh, because I want to be um, as, as, as reverent as possible when it comes to the Word of God. But we as Christians ought to be studying it for ourselves. We ought to be taking um, time to prepare. And that's the question. Do we, as Christians, spend time with God? Do we spend the time with God we ought to spend? And I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm talking about prayer, But what about his word? Excuse me, his word. Do we take the time to prepare? This first point, I totally blasted past the title here. But um, it really is simply this. It's the vision for Paul's preparation with God. You see, God told Ananias what Paul was going to do, why he was was being called to salvation. And, and, And he says, look, this is the plan I have for Paul's life. But you know, every single event in our life happens because... God allows it. Look at the story of Job. I won't spend too much time there, but he was the one that suggested to the devil, saying, have you considered my servant Job? He's a perfect and an upright man. And Job in one day lost all of his cattle, all of his livestock, all of his wealth, and all 10 of his children in one day. Now, in the first chapter, he, he didn't ask God why. He knew God was sovereign. He said, God blessed and God taken away. And as the chapters roll on, he um, starts to ask God the honest question, God, why did you do this to me? What, what's the lesson you want me uh, to learn through this? Every event happens in our life for a reason. So if God allows events in our life to happen, don't you think naturally that He allows it to happen because he has a specific plan for each and every one of us. But Pastor Dan, you don't know my past. You don't. I don't know your past. I don't need to know your past. That's between you and God. But that does not mean God can't use you, period. Look at David. Look at stories throughout Scripture of men that were... David was described as a man after God's own heart, was a king. He made horrible mistakes. But yeah, God still used him. Not only do we need to look at the vision for Paul's preparation with God, but secondly this morning, let's look at the verification of Paul's calling by God. Verses 18 and 19 are pretty interesting. It says here in verse 18, "Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. So Paul, when he had went to Damascus, most likely departed from Jerusalem where he saw the chief priests, and he got the letters to go and round up Christians and throw them into jail. God intervenes on the road to Damascus, calls Paul out by name, and Paul receives Christ as his savior. It took over three years from that moment for him to finally go back to Jerusalem, which for the most part was his base of operations. That's where the religious council, that's where all the authorities resided. Um, And then if you, It's interesting. It says right here quickly in Galatians that he went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Now, obviously, Paul's not drawing out the whole context of the interaction with Peter. Uh, but at the same time, he's telling the church of Galatia different reasons why his apostleship with God is valid. We talked about the conversion last week, and this week are like the proofs, the evidences, if you will. And so he says this, um, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 9, going back, Verses 26 and 27, the, the stories match up perfectly. And here's one thing I love about studying the Bible. When you read one book in Galatians, and then you read the account in Acts, I love it how it just meshes together. Just, now, there's times where you can ask Mike and I, we were scratching our heads like of the timeline this week, like when was this three years, when did he go, um, and whatnot. But when he comes to Jerusalem to see Peter, it, it says in Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Wouldn't that sound like the perfect calling card for the greatest persecutor of the church? To like convince Christianity of, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus now. Hey, I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. Hey, good to see you. Let's break right. Oh, you're going to jail. Like, oh, that would have been like the greatest mole in the history of the world. So obviously the apostles in their human nature are like, oh, we don't believe this is true. But verse 27, Paul had an advocate. Paul had an advocate by the name of Barnabas. It says this, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had, Paul had seen the Lord in the way or the road, speaking of the road to Damascus, in that that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. See, Barnabas said, guys, guys, listen. There's something different about Saul the persecutor. He just, he's, he is, he actually, the moment he got saved, he was preaching in the synagogues and getting thrown out of the, and thrown out of the city. And with that being said, he, Barnabas defends with him. Uh, so like my initial thought was when I'm reading this, I'm like, I wonder if Peter and others were kind of apprehensive to let, you know, just come on in, Paul, It's great to see you. Um, but the purpose of this trip was really to meet and to get acquainted with the apostle Peter. So who was Peter? Well, Peter was the personal companion of Christ. Peter was a close disciple and an early church leader. remember how we talked about the proofs of apostleship that an apostle had to be with one that saw the or a prophet if you will saw or was an active with the ministry of Christ You see Paul went to Peter and then and it says here he didn't see anyone but Peter and James. Mike and I were kind of theorizing this week and this kind of what what if they just kind what if Paul went to compare notes? said, hey, you know what happened here? what happened there? But the purpose of the trip was, or excuse me, the duration of the trip was only 15 days. 15 days, that's a little over two weeks. It's interesting that the trip was far too short for Peter to really pour into Paul and train Paul on all the intricacies of, of a relationship with Christ. Now, were there questions asked, was like, hey, what was Christ like, and this or that? I absolutely, sure, there was. But the interesting thing here is that Peter walked with and lived with the very Savior That Paul never met, but fully believed in. So Peter was a source, I believe, of verification. But I want to pause here for a second and kind of compare Peter and Paul. Uh, Say their names ten times fast, you're going to get a tongue twister. But based off of my experience of just the character studies throughout Scripture of the two of them, they kind of share some unique, distinct uh, personality uh, traits or characteristics. They both were zealous and passionate men. They really were. Oh, Peter, why was he zealous? Oh, I don't know. He cut a dude's ear off. Um, yeah, Peter was one that was zealous and passionate for Christ. But on the other side, he was also zealous and passionate when he denied Christ. You see, zealousness and passion can be used for good and both for bad. I want you guys to understand this, that yes, I'm going to compare Peter and Paul here. But even though Peter cut a man's ear off and was reactionary and betrayed Christ, At the time, he believed he was doing the right thing. He thought he was defending his Savior. And obviously, when he defended Christ, was one of the, in in his viewpoint, I believe, one of the lowest points of his life. You see, you look at Saul, who threw Christians in jail, who literally dragged people out of their homes. They both believed they were doing the right thing at the right time. So what could transform Peter, what could transform Paul to who have done things wrong to now doing things right for the Lord, the grace of God, period. The grace of God. So here's the interesting thing I want you to notice. Did Peter make mistakes as a follower and a believer of Christ? Yes or no? He did. That means you and I as Christians can still make mistakes. That doesn't mean we do it willingly. We talked about last week the church I I went to camp with several years would say, Hey, you're saved. Go do what you want. Yeah, you have fun partying and not looking like a saved Christian. But anyways, um, you and I could still make mistakes. Did the blood at the cross cover it? Yeah, but that doesn't give us a free pass to go do it. You see, Paul made mistakes before conversion. Yet did Paul, does Paul make mistakes after he saved? Absolutely. He's human just like each and every one of us. Paul didn't see any other apostles on that trip except for James, the brother of Christ. One commentator says it this way, Paul's visit to Jerusalem was not to learn more about the gospel message, but to meet and get acquainted with these two men who had been so close to Jesus and perhaps to learn from them some of their intimate experiences with the incarnate Lord whom he had come to love and serve and with whom he had spent those three years getting acquainted. How many of you in here have ever met a celebrity or a sports athlete or something like that? that's about the number of hands I expected to see, not many of us. I remember the first time I met a celebrity and I thought like, man, this is so awesome. I was about eight years old and we're at Sports Authority, one of the ones in town that shut down um, and there was an autograph signing and I walk in with my little Dallas Cowboys jersey, this big old Dallas Cowboys helmet that fit on my big old head Um, and, and I walk in with a hat and then we're in line and there is a offensive lineman uh, from the Dallas Cowboys, um, I'll tell you his name in a second because the story gets funnier. Uh, who was signing autographs? So it's my brother and I, my younger sister, and there's this lady in front of us getting autographs. And you ever, you ever, if you ever had an autograph signing, Rich, you may see this, where people just throw down stuff and they sign it and sign it and sign it, and then the the celebrity or the athletes like yeah, you're just going to sell these things. They know that what they're, so the lady in front of us was doing that and this offensive lineman was just looking at her like, you are crazy. So my parents were like, don't give him more than one item. Just have him sign the helmet or the jersey or the t-shirt or whatever it was. So we're like, okay. So mom and dad were kind of concerned. We go up to meet him and um, my sister hands him a hat. He signs it hands him a T-shirt, will you sign this too, please? And he looks at my sister and goes, oh, sure thing, angel, signs it. I go right behind him, I get a helmet, a jersey, and something else signed. And then afterwards we go home, we're like, man, this is awesome. We, and then I would not... I wouldn't shut up about that experience for like months. Like, I got to meet this offensive lineman. I did shut up about it when Nate Newton got pulled over with a truckload of marijuana in Dallas, Texas. And all those autographs came off of the shelf. And dad's like, not the role model we want. Um, but at the same time, I thought, like, this was a celebrity. I get to meet him. And, and, and like, no, no. As a kid, I would still, if I had a chance to sit down and talk with him, I'd be like, hey, tell me about the offense. Tell me about the play calling, like all the intricacies of things that he experiences that I would never see on my side of the television. But at the same time, um, he wasn't worried about that. Um, But at this, like, so, well, Paul comes in, he's talking to Peter and he's talking to James, like, hey, you actually got to experience life with Christ. Tell me what that was like. You know how I said last week that I'm often challenged when I see a new believer accept Christ and they just have this passion, they have this fire and they want to know as much as they can. That's what I still see here in Paul three years later. He's like, hey, tell me, I I spent time with Christ. I read through the scriptures. I was there for three years, just me and him alone in Arabia, learning and and, and training. Tell me some more. Like, What are some of the intricacies? What are some of the the experiences you had? The the great part was Christ wasn't going to disappoint Paul like Nate Newton disappointed me. Um, But with that being said, when it comes to that, when it comes to understanding who Christ was, Paul was further training, and and he didn't know exactly what all his calling would entail. So for us today, I think another reason why Paul spent time with Peter and James was simply for fellowship. Was simply for fellowship. One of the things that Pastor Aaron challenges me on, um, as the new guy on staff, I've only been here for under two years, was to be for me to be more intentional with the friendships and the relationships that I have with people here at this church. Um, there are times where I, I, I enjoy the times we spend together, but then there's times where we spend together that I wish it wasn't necessarily under the circumstances that we spend time together where it's the death of a loved one or a or, 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 or surgery or something that takes place. I wish we could spend time in other areas. But one of the things that I realized that, one of the reasons why I feel that Oasis Baptist Church is home for me is that there are several families that I can go to in an instant if I needed help with something. There are several families, if I said, hey, could you pray for this? I could call, I could text, they would do that in a heartbeat. And I don't know where each and every one of us are at this morning. I don't know if you call Oasis Baptist Church your home, or if you've been here for several weeks and, 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 and you're, you love it here. We haven't scared you away, thank the Lord. Um, but with that being said, Oasis Baptist Church, one of the strengths I find in our church is that a family, is the fact that we have this fellowship, Paul's being iron sharpening with iron. He's being strengthened by by, by Peter and by James. His faith is being deepened as a result of that. If Paul has the passion to learn more and more about Christ, those personal one-on-one interactions that Peter and James had three years later, we should have the very same passion. Because you know what we have that Paul didn't? We have the complete revealed Word of God, the entirety of it we have the mind and the will of God right here in our hands. And where does it sit? On the shelf, collecting dust. I'm bad. You should see my office. I have like 13 of these. But if I'm not reading one of them, they're all worthless. If I don't pour myself into knowing God more, if I don't exercise the passion to know God more, why am I even here? Granted, I firmly believe that God's grace is sufficient alone for salvation. I don't need to do anything works-related to, to maintain that, but this is, it's been said the Bible is God's love letter to us. So let's love him back more. It's been said that when church fellowship, the idea of iron sharpeneth iron, there's this, there's this idea of strength in numbers. Um, the Golden State Warriors used that as a motto this last year, and obviously it didn't help because they lost the finals. But at the same time, every time I would see their games, on the back of their backboard, it would say strength in numbers. It was like a team motto. They knew they were stronger together. The interesting thing about their team is that at one point, they had four or five all-stars playing, but if one got injured there was a, another couple that would step up and help the team succeed. Uh, unfortunately for them this past season, they had too many key all-stars injured to where a better team from Toronto could overcome them. You see, if we allow sin in our life, if we allow things to keep us away from church, we are literally weakening ourselves from spiritual attack on a daily and a weekly basis. I spoke with, a, I spoke with someone this morning uh, about camp. And I said this, I said, hey, I really desire and would love for you to go to camp simply for the fact that you're going to hear life-changing preaching and that you're going to be surrounded by friends and leaders that love you and want to see you do what's right. You don't have to go as Christians. We don't have to go through this life alone. That's where iron sharpeneth iron comes into play. And then I thought, going back to the context of Paul talking to the church of Galatia, what if more Galatians knew this true gospel, and not just knew it, but they actually lived it. The Judaizers, as a problem, wouldn't have existed. The churches in Galatia knew and lived out the gospel. The, Paul wouldn't even have to address this idea with what the Judaizers are doing and bringing in this works-based salvation. What if we don't take the time to spend more time getting to know God? If we got married to our respective spouses and never had a conversation and getting to know them deeper after the I do, I do at the wedding vows, um, your marriage is going to last that long because I learned more about my wife in the years we've been married than I, have, than I learned about her beforehand. My poor wife has learned that I have an inability to take a clothes and put it in the laundry basket rather than the floor. Um, there's different things that I'm still working on. Um, and there's times where if I just get in a cleaning kick, I'll just go and do it. And then she'll look at me and go, see, wasn't that easy? Um <laughs> I could say that because she's in the nursery and she can't give me a dirty look right now. Um, but with that being said, listen, there's so many instructions. There's so many ways to live the life as a Christian that we're given in the Bible. But the question is whether or not are we going to choose to read it? Are we going to spend time with God to do it? And then once we know what God's word says, will we turn around and do it? I made the comment earlier, Paul took time to prepare. Paul's, Paul's calling Uh, He was telling Peter, he was telling James, look, I just got here. I know all this stuff because God revealed it to me. But at the same time, as young Christians, if you've just recently began a relationship with God, we're not going to ask you to jump into some big teaching thing. We're going to ask, if you want to greet and smile, we'll we'll plug you into greeting and smile. If you want to hand out flyers at the door, if you want to help set up chairs or or, or clean, we we would love to get you plugged in. But at the same time, we're not going to put you in a position more than what you can handle. See, God had to have that alone time with Paul in order for him to train. So, what do we need as believers? Do we, like, I, I've been saved. I, I know Christ is my Savior. Pastor Dan, I have even been baptized, but beyond that, I just kind of come to church and kind of go do, 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 Have you ever had one on one discipleship where a, where a man or a woman sits down with the Bible and goes through all the different doctrines and teachings and uh, the very essence of what the Word of God says? You know, at Oasis, we have a discipleship program that we do one-on-one discipleship. Several people are going through that. We also have the Oasis classes, the Connect class, the No class, the Walk class, the Share class. The Walk and Share classes are starting up here in the fall. <coughs> so what more do we need to have this fellowship? I believe it's just the personal decision to say, I'm just going to do it. Christian, you're not meant to go through life just checking off boxes. If I went to church, I did the offering, I did this. No, no, you're, you're, you're meant to go through life in having an intimate and real relationship with God. See, Paul craved that, but Paul knew he couldn't have a face-to-face in relationship with Christ because Christ had already ascended to heaven. But yet he would go to Peter and he'd go to James. And if the other disciples weren't so scared, I, I, I mean, honestly, understandably so, he would have been able to pick their brains at this trip and say, hey, tell me more, tell me more. See, Paul's, Paul had to prepare. his verif- His calling had to be verified. But lastly this morning, Let's look at the validation of his new reputation because of God. Verses 20 through 24 says, Now the things which I write to you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Sicilia and was unknown by the face, by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Verse 24, again, they glorified God in me. At the very beginning of verse 20, where he says, I write to you, behold, before God I lie not, this is actually a Jewish vow. This is actually an expression that was used much throughout Jewish culture, where he literally is saying, I assure you before God that I am not lying. As I read this, I'm like, isn't he just like swearing before God? Like, wasn't I told as a kid, don't you dare swear before God? Like, that's how I was told, bring it up. But at the same time, Paul here is being serious with the church of Galatia. He said, look, I'm laying out the proof of my conversion, the proofs of my apostleship, the reason why you should trust what I'm saying in the first place. But he does that and says, look, before God, I am telling you the truth. I am not lying lying to you. So in review, Paul will defend this gospel he receives that it was number one from God and not the apostles of his modern day or it wasn't revealed to him by any other man. So afterwards, as he goes into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I can't even pronounce that city to save my life, um, he would return to home. He would return to preach in in Tarshish and, and head to Sicilia and then he would go throughout the regions of Judea but one of the interesting things there is in verse 22, he was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. They didn't know what Paul looked like, but as we find out in the next verse, they know exactly what he did. They knew his reputation through 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 story and through ear. And so, aren't you glad that a lot of times we are not necessarily known for our reputations? And let me tell you why. There's were times in my life where I wasn't the best behaved Christian as a teenager. My dad used to say it to me this way, when you leave this house, you carry our last name with you, and whatever you do reflects on our family. So I used to be a little smart aleck and say, well, my last name's Murray, your last name's Roseberry, so ha. Obviously, it was my stepdad, and he didn't find it funny, Um, but he was driving home the point of this. What you do reflects on me. So teenagers, children, young parents, what our children do reflect on us. There were times in my life where I did things that didn't give mom and dad the best reflection. But more importantly than mom and dad, as a Christian, what I do today, what I do tomorrow, what I do this week, reflects Christ. And it was hard enough for me to come home after I did something wrong and I was going to face the music, if you will. Nothing hurt more than disappointing my parents exponentially more, nothing should hurt more to us than disappointing our Lord. Does he love us? Absolutely. Did he know we were going to sin? Absolutely. Did he have the foreknowledge that we were going to accept him as Savior? Yes. Did he know we would still make mistakes? Absolutely. As Paul preaches, he's not known by the faces to them, but he is, verse 23, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once they destroyed. You see, I want to pause here for a second and kind of review the different descriptions we see of Paul. He wasn't known by faith, but he was known by previous reputation. In Acts 9, 13 and 14, one of the verses for sake of time, we kind of um, skipped over a little bit last week. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, How much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias' excuse to God was, God, this man is here to kill us. He's got the letters, he has the authority, he's ready to throw us in jail. And you want me to go get him? You know, Ananias is probably scared out of his mind, but yet still, even though he was scared, he still trusted God and obeyed. You know, God may ask us to do something that we may not see the end results of. It might be a huge career change. It might be a huge family decision. But can I tell you something? If you believe that God is in control enough for your salvation, then you should believe that God is in control enough of every life decision you make, period. We haven't really publicized this, but one of the things, the conversations my wife and I just had recently um, was uh, she's having a tonsillectomy surgery uh, at the end of August, and, and she's admittedly, she's, she's she's scared. She's like, oh, this is fear. But um, the conversation we had, even this past week, um, this past, uh, I believe it was Wednesday, um, I was sitting in the waiting room in the hospital uh, as, as uh, Rich had his surgery. And, and I was just thinking about, number one, I was thinking about how amazing God has equipped modern-day medicine and doctors to perform surgeries like this. Um, one of the things that blew me away was... Um, the doctor told Rich that they were going to take some arteries out of his leg to repair his heart. And then he said, yeah, those arteries were there. I'm like, well, don't you need them? No, there's this like offshoot of an artery that you don't need. Uh, It's just there. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, you're going to tell me God didn't create us. You know, we have parts in our body that can be replaced elsewhere. Um, Take that auto zone. With that being the case, um, (laughs) so with that being the case, we're sitting there, we're talking about the surgery. I get home and Rich's surgery was supposed to be, they said, four to six hours, and about three-hour mark, the nurse came out, said, he's doing great. They're, they're, they're wrapping up right now, and his hour was just, his surgery was just under four hours, and the doctor came out and said, he did great. That was one of the best heart surgeries, if you will, and we sat back, and we were just, at that moment, like, it was like this collective, you know, through the waiting room, like, thank you, God. Then I get home with my mom, or my wife, excuse me, and then we're talking, um, and then she said "I." She said this, and I might get in trouble for sharing this, but um, she said, you know, a little tonsil surgery is nothing compared to what Rich went through. But the theme that I heard in that waiting room on Wednesday, I heard it from Rich's children, I even heard it from Tammy, was the simple words of God is in control, period. God is in control. So that's the piece that my wife has when it comes to a surgery. She's like, I don't know what this is going to be. God's in control. I don't know what this situation or this life event is going to happen. God is in control. Ananias, God was in control when you were bringing this man. Not only was Ananias describing him as one that was, was, a, was a evil and how much evil he had done and how he had authority to throw people in prison, right after his conversion, look at this description of Paul. In, in Acts nine twenty one, all that heard him were amazed and said, is this not he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Not only did Ananias have a fear of what Paul did, but when, when he was saved, the reputation is now shifting to, isn't this the guy who was throwing Christians in jail for preaching the very thing he's preaching? But even in the, verse 23 right here, it says, But they had heard only this description, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which, which once he destroyed. Paul's validation came in the transformed reputation that only the grace of God performed. Later on, Barnabas would come to find Paul and take him to Antioch, and uh, and revivals taking place there. And, and Barnabas, as Paul's back in his uh, Tarsus and some of those areas, Barnabas and takes him to Antioch, and then from there, Acts thirteen, they go together on the first missionary journey. The validation, I believe, came in the reputation, not because of what man said about Paul, but because of what God did in Paul about taking him from the destroyer of the church to then one preaching in Christ and Christ alone. But look at verse 24. And we'll wrap up with this. All for the glory of God. The glory of God. Why have church? Why sing praises? Why study the word of God? Why as a Christian should I continue to grow and prepare and and spend fellowship and do all this stuff? Why do we do that? All for the glory of God. Of God, They glorified God in me, is what verse 24 says. A commentator said it this way, For obvious reasons, it had been extremely difficult for believers to accept the genuineness of Paul's conversion. But when the Lord gave such great blessing to Paul's ministry, resulting in his own persecution, his fellow Christians could no longer doubt that he was specially chosen and a gifted man of God. And they were glorifying God because of him. Over the last several weeks, we've applied and we've said this phrase that Paul's biography that he's laying out right now to the Church of Galatia is our biography. It is our story. It's, we literally can place ourselves in Paul's shoes and say, where was I before Christ? Where was I before salvation? What was the unique Damascus Road experience where Christ reached out to me and said, I love you, I died for you, and I want you to accept me as your Savior? Why do all that? All for the glory of God. You see, Paul's story was one of sin. And if it wasn't for Christ at the cross, that Damascus Road experience would have taken place. But when Paul accepted the gift of salvation, the relationship with Christ, he then received the gift of eternal life. But can I say this for real? He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to heaven. He said, I'm not just going to go to heaven, I'm going to live my life right now, sold out for God. Paul, like Peter, was a very zealous and a very passionate man. And as zealous as he was for the law, he would be even more zealous and more passionate about the true gospel of Christ. That's why he doesn't mince words when he's talking to the churches here in Galatia. That's why he's cut and dry into the point saying, look, listen, this is not the way it's supposed to be. These people are false. They're bringing in a false doctrine. And ultimately what Paul's saying is, look, if you believe that your works are going to get you to heaven, you're going to come up short and spend an eternity in hell. It's in Christ and Christ alone. We made this comment. Pastor has echoed this comment. The whole title of the series is Set Free. I would not personally be set free if I was worrying about every little good thing I had to do this week. Really, what would I be feeling like? I'd be feeling worried and scared. Oh, did I, I did that, so I gotta do just five things to, to erase that. No, Christ's finished work on the cross took care of it. So today, will we submit to the fact that we have God's Word in front of us? Will we read it? Will we study it? Will we live it? Will we breathe it in order to be prepared for what God's calling is in our life? Will we be strengthened by other Christians? Will we view church as a place of family and and accountability and love instead of a place of, okay, did church for the week? But also... Will our service, will we serve the Lord in so much so that our story that mimics the biography of Paul, when, when our story is, I remember Dan when he was this. I remember what he used to do, but something happened and now he's doing this, this, and this. One of the interesting things about being at the hospital on Wednesday is I, a guy walks into the waiting room and I look right at him. I'm like, Andrew? And he was a friend of mine from high school. He walked right around and just left. And I'm like he must not have heard me, or that was someone else, so I did some investigating, I look on Facebook, I'm like, no, that was him, he was there visiting a family member, he came out, and one of the things, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, and I said, hey, what are you doing, he told me where his job was, and I said, and he asked me, what do you do, I was like, well, I'm working as an assistant pastor at Oasis Baptist Church, and he's like, you've got to be kidding me, (laughs) and I looked at him, and I was like, I must not have been really good in high school, but (laughs) so. um, But either way, it was cool to kind of reconnect and whatnot. But at the same time, sometimes people will see a difference in us, and then sometimes be surprised of, "Are you serious? Like that's what you're doing now?" Uh, Because probably him and I were the mischievous ones in high school. But saying that, Paul's reputation is validated because the grace of God radically transformed his life. The grace of God radically transformed our life if we're a believer today. But if we're not a believer today, Today could be that day of salvation for you. Today could be that day where you call out to Jesus and ask him to be your savior, to begin that relationship with him. And once you do, you're saved. The Bible says no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. That includes yourself. That being said, Our biography is the same. Paul is laying out this biography to the believers in Galatia that are being convinced of something else, and he said, the reason for this is simply so you know the truth, you know the gospel, and you live it out. Today, we need to prepare with God's word for his plan for our life. We need to be strengthened by fellow believers, and we need to be faithful so others can see the change in us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity, this day, this morning to be in your house.